we are a diverse family renewed and reconciled together with God by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for our sins. Because of the love of Jesus, we are compelled to share his message of reconciliation and renewal so that everyone in our community would experience the love of Jesus and be empowered to follow him into eternal life. And, and we're expecting everyone to memorize that in, in the next couple of weeks. No, uh, we have a, a shorter version that I think is more memorable, and it's uh, working together for the reconciliation and renewal of all people in Jesus. So that's the one that we are hoping people would start to become uh, conversant with. Uh, that's what we're about. So if you ever want to know, you know, what is Harambe Church about, uh, this is our effort to kind of describe that so that we understand uh, everything we do here as part of this church is connected to this vision. And that's the goal of this series, is to articulate that. And flowing from the mission, we have these things that we've called vision outcomes. What do we want to see flow through or flow from what God has called us to? And so that's what we've been doing these last few weeks. We've touched on uh, new birth. We've touched on spiritual maturity. Uh, And now we're going to cover authentic community. And, and there's two more that follow after this. Authentic community uh, means forming a people marked by unity in truth and love and diversity in expression. And that's what we're going to try to cover today from our passage. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verses 17 through chapter 5. Father, I pray that uh, you would help us this morning that you would fill us with your spirit and illuminate your word for us that it would apply in a very real way uh, to our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Uh, A few years ago, uh, my wife and I were at a fundraiser and uh, we were at this table and and people were just conversating and there's this one uh, couple in particular that was just really friendly and really kind to us, and uh, the, the lady actually uh, talked to my wife and said that she reminded her of someone that she knew uh, back in the day, and uh, they were just super friendly and, and, and very interested in, in us and, and, and what we did, and, and almost, almost too interested, and I was starting to get kind of wary of, of what they were about, and uh, sooner uh, or later, um, the gentleman brought up, he said, you know, uh, we've really enjoyed uh, getting to a place in our lives where uh, we have multiple streams of income. And uh, we would love to share with you how you can also get multiple streams of income. And as soon as he said that, like, it just reframed, like, the whole interaction that we just had. Like, all of a sudden, I felt like, okay, I, I get it now. They're not really interested in us. They're not really just super friendly and wanting to get to know us they, they're really what they're about. They're, they're just trying to add us to one of their multiple streams of income. And I remember thinking, I, I, I really dislike inauthenticity. Just, just tell me straight up. Just tell me straight up what, what it's about. I don't want the, the angles. I don't want the agenda. I don't want the front. Just, just tell me. And, and I think we find truth like a refreshing thing, don't we? I remember 
just a few years ago, Marshawn Lynch running back for the, for the Seahawks. Um, he, as much as you might think of it, he, he had a lot of uh, critique and criticisms, but one thing he was, he was truthful. He was real. And, and I remember he, he did not, if you remember, he did not like press conferences. He, he wasn't a big fan of press conferences. He would, he would come, but he, he didn't want to be there. And I remember at one point he had missed some and he got fined. So the next press conference, he, he came, but he was clearly didn't want to be there. He said, he said this, I'm just here so that I don't get fined. Every single answer that they asked him, he gave them that answer. I'm just here so I don't get fined. Now, it wasn't particularly insightful from a football standpoint, but it was honest and it was refreshing. I was like, I like that guy. <laughs> Fakeness is, is, is exhausting. It's exhausting sorting through all the angles that people are trying to get through is it's almost like you have to read between the lines or, or you have to try to see if their interest somehow conflicts with your own interests. But not only is it exhausting from the standpoint of us trying to figure out other people, it's exhausting uh, in and of ourselves. When, we be, when we're being fake, when we're putting on a front, when we're trying to have to, uh, when someone asks us if you're fine, Right? Or, or how's everything going? We say, we're, we're good. I'm good. I'm fine. Everything's great. Or, or, or you withhold information because you're, you're afraid of what other people might think. If you told them what you really think, if you told them what you really said, if you told them what you really did, uh, they don't want to see that in me. I'm just going to just put up this front. And it's exhausting. And so my question for us this morning is, what would it look like for Harambe Church to be a community that makes a practice of telling the truth? What would it look like for church to be a place where people can be authentic, where it can be a real community that's, that's genuine with who we are and, and who God is? In our passage today, Paul is concerned that Christians have started to believe in fake news instead of good news. And as a result, we as Christians are not living in the fullness of life that God has secured for us. And so that's going to be the breakdown of this morning. We're going to look at fake news and what does it look like to put it down. And we're going to look at good news and what does it look like to pick it up and hold fast to it. So, now, in putting down the fake news implies that we know what fake news is. So I'd like to dig in our passage and show you. In looking at our passage, first we need to be familiar with the context of what Paul has just written. We're in uh, Ephesians chapter 4. And our passage is really starting in verse 17, but I want to go back just a few verses to verse 14. And Paul writes, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, 
by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Now Paul is concerned about, in this context, the, 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 the church he describes as like a body. It's a living body, an organism that is growing and is building itself up in love. And Paul is concerned about anything that would stunt the growth of the church. And in particular, one of the things that he identifies as something that will stunt the growth of the church are false teachings or false doctrines. And here Paul describes it as, as doctrines that uh, are caring about children to and fro like, like winds tossing each other around. And this is where I'm getting this idea of fake news. It's deceitfulness. It is, these are teachings, these are doctrines that, that if you believed, would, would take you in dangerous places. And, and it's not just anything that's untrue. Okay, it's not just believing something, anything that's untrue. If you, you could go around believing that the world is flat, And for most people, that would have no real impact on your life. Now, maybe that's not true if you're if you're uh, drawing routes for airplanes or something. But but for most people, you could believe the world is flat, and you would probably live life fairly normally. However, if you believed, like if you really believe that every single person is out to get you. That would change how you live your life, would it not? If you really believe that every single person around you is out to get you, that would impact how you live your life. You would be on guard 24-7. And that would be, uh, it would be a belief that would work its way into, into a life that you wouldn't want to live. No one would want to live believing that everyone was out to get them. Now, the opposite side was true. If you believe that no one is ever out to get you, that would also impact your life. You would never be on guard. That would also be a dangerous belief to believe because in this world, we know that there are some people who are out to get you. The truth is somewhere in between. And so the fake news, or this, by I'm using fake news, I know it's in the news, but I'm using it to bring it to bear on something that I hope you will see is not exactly what you hear on TV or what you read in the papers. But it's these false doctrines or false beliefs that if you believe them, really affect and impact your life in a negative way. That's the idea of what I'm trying to get across. Paul is concerned about that type of fake news, beliefs that would impact our lives in a negative way. Now, there's two, two dangerous directions that I want to highlight from this passage um, that come from uh, following these false beliefs or, these, or, or believing, picking up these uh, fake news. The first dangerous direction is this. I'll, I'll start reading uh, verse 17. Now I say this and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. The the first dangerous direction... Uh, is an insatiable 
desire to indulge in an unhealthy way. And this is the, this is the basic category of sort of traditional hedonism. So it's the things like, like sex, food, alcohol, drugs, and money, because money can get you all those things. Right? This is the category of things, things that, that bring immediate pleasure or bring immediate joy. This is one way in which we're, we're tempted to believe the fake news. And I'm getting this specifically from verse 19. They have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Uh, sensuality, uh, most often, it's a broader term, but most often has an idea of, of sexual uh, temptation. But it, it is broader than that. And, and greedy is this idea of insatiableness or a desire for more and more and more. And whatever you're desiring does not bring satisfaction. And, and we understand this. Like, we just had Halloween, right? Uh, I don't know if you're like me. I, we, this year, we decided not to get any candy. Why? Because we never have a ton of trick-or-treaters. We have a few, and then we're left with, like, tons, bags of candy. And we can't have bags of candy at our home because we don't give it away. We, we tend to put it in our stomachs. And I don't know if you've done this. I, I, I'll, I'll grab a Butterfinger after having had several pieces. I'll be, all right, this is my last Butterfinger. This is the last one. Just one more. And I eat it, and it's so good. And then I'll grab like a Snickers and say, oh, this is a different candy bar, so it's okay. <laughs> one last Butterfinger, one last Snickers, one last 37 pieces later, we're just like, oh. Right? And that's, that's sort of a light way of describing it. We know that, uh, obviously, if you eat just candy after candy after candy, you're going to get sick. It's not good for you to indulge in that way. And it's the same thing with sex. It's the same thing with uh, alcohol or drugs. And none of these things are bad in and of themselves. It's just that when we indulge, when we lift these things up, out of their proper context, when we essentially begin to treat these things as our, as our gods or as our functional saviors, the things that we go to if we're depressed, the things that we go to if we're stressed, the things that we just sort of naturally gravitate towards when life is not good, we think that that pleasure is going to save us in a way or, or at least help us escape the drudgery of whatever, the pain of whatever we're in at the moment. That's the sense in which these, these insatiable desires for, for things in an unhealthy way is, is, is fake news. Now, there's a, there's a belief underneath these desires that I want to get at. What, what, do we, what do I think is, is this belief? Or what is, the, what is the, specifically, what is the fake news it could be, it could be that the more we have of all these things, the, the happier we'll be. Right? The, the more money I have, like the more and more money I have, the more happy I'll be. The more food, the more candy I have, the more, the more happy I'll be. The, the, the other, another related belief could be that God is, is somehow holding back on us. 
that God is, is basically saying no to certain things that I want, and, and God is basically saying there's certain pleasure that you can't have, and you're just going to have to, you're just gonna have to tough it out and not have that pleasure. God is holding back on our pleasure. That's the other belief that could be behind these desires. And Paul describes the, the, the context of the person's heart when we are gravitating towards these desires as, being, as having a darkened understanding. We have a darkened understanding, and he describes that as futility or helplessness. And that would be a very good way to describe addiction. If you've ever known people have struggled with addiction, or if you've ever yourself struggled with addiction, helplessness is, is kind of a good word to describe that feeling. And, and what Paul is saying is that beneath that are wrong beliefs, are fake news that you're believing that these things is really, these are my gods. These are the things that give me ultimate satisfaction. These are the things that give me ultimate joy and contentment. And the truth is, and we know this through experience, that when we get to that 37th piece of candy, that I don't have ultimate joy at that moment. And so what, what God is trying to do is show us that these things are dangerous, that they lead us to unhealthy places, that there's a better, there's a truth that actually counteracts those lies, that counteracts uh, that fake news. And that's what I uh, want to get to. Now, before I get to that, just note that these, these things are not uh, merely dangerous to ourselves as individuals, but uh, they're often dangerous to other people as well. Uh, which makes sense if you understand that the root of, of these things is that we lift these things up to God-like places. Whatever it might be, sex, money, food, drugs, alcohol, whatever. We lift it up to God-like places. What we do with people is we use them to get those things. Or, if they're in our way, we step over them to get those things. So it's, it's not a, a correct perception to believe that, oh, this is just my own little personal sin because it doesn't usually end up that way. It usually will work its way into how you treat other people. If you believe money is your God, then you will step over other people at some point in your life if you see that as a way to get more money. If you treat sex as your God, you will at some point use other people to fulfill your own sexual desires that's just the way it works and so so don't think of these things as just personal it's not just personal sin it works its way into how we relate to other people how we see other people it's dangerous not just for ourselves but for our community the second dangerous direction of fake news is this and in some ways i'm more convicted by this one than the first let me read. I'm going to read verses 25 through 31. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up 
as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. The, the second dangerous direction of fake news is that your mind will be full of ill intent and malice towards people. Uh, in this passage, in verses 25 through 31, we see a list of specific sins. Holding on to anger, stealing, corrupt talk, bitterness, wrath, clamor, slander, malice. Now, we don't have time this morning to dive deeply into each one of these sins, but what I want to get at is that they all have something in common. And what all these sins have in common is ill intent or malice towards other people. Malice is, in some ways, a, like an uber category for all of these. There's ill intent towards people. You wish bad for other people. Now, what might be the fake news here? What might be the lie beneath all of these sins? It might not be obvious at first, but I'm going to state it and then walk through it and see if you can see this. I think the lie beneath all these sins is that you believe, we believe, we're tempted to believe that we're justified by being better than other people. We believe that we're made to feel righteous by comparing ourselves to other people. And in so doing, we feel like we're good because someone else is worse. So I'm arguing that that's the lie underneath all of these manifestations of sin, whether it's bitterness, whether it's wrath, whether it's uh, holding on to anger, malice, that underneath that is a self righteous or self-justifying attitude okay what does this look like Uh, i want to go to another passage uh, to illustrate this luke chapter 18 luke chapter 18 verses 9 through 14 And, and this is a a parable that i really like it's it's convicting uh, it was convicting when I first read it. It's still convicting now. And, and maybe it will resonate with some people here this morning. Luke chapter 18, verse 9. Now, this is Jesus uh, talking. Well, Luke's writing, and then Jesus starts talking. All right. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. I'll stop there. So, Luke is basically saying, Jesus told this parable about people who trusted in themselves. And as a result of trusting in themselves, there was was an effect. There was a consequence that directly impacted how they treated others. And in this case, with contempt. Okay? Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, prayed thus, 
God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Uh, Don't pray like this, by the way. (laughs) That's not an example for us to follow in. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. What is Jesus saying? There there are some people, perhaps even some of us here this morning, that are trusting in themselves for their own righteousness and as a result are treating others poorly. You can treat others poorly uh, from slander to being bitter towards someone to being uh, wrathful towards someone, basically this idea of condemning someone in in vicious anger. The ESV reads, uh, treating others with contempt here in Luke. In this parable, how do we we know that the Pharisees are being self-righteous? Like, what gives it away? It's the, it's the content of their prayer. It's, it's the content, the substance of what they're saying, what they're praying, is giving away their self-righteousness. And, 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 and specifically, you can see this in the fact that they're comparing themselves to other people. They're basing their righteousness by looking at other people first. Look at this tax collector here. Right, they steal. They have a bad name. They have a bad reputation. Thank God I'm not like that person. Thank God I'm not like the adulterer. Thank God I'm not like this other person. And he begins to build up this case. This is what I do. This is what I do. This is what I do. This is not what I do. Therefore, I'm good. He didn't need to even talk to God. To demonstrate his righteousness. He was almost like proving to God, see, see, see what I did, see what I did. I'm righteous, right? Yep, I don't even need to wait for the answer. God said that that man did not go home justified. The one who went justified is the one who recognized, I'm a sinner. Lord, have mercy on me. We exalt ourselves by comparing ourselves to other, by looking down on other people's sin. Because at some level, we think that we really are better than others. And you can insert, the, the scary thing is that there's, there's no exception. There's no exceptions in, 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 in the sense that the truth is we're not better than anyone. And, there's no, and that's the scary thing because I think all of us can think of that one person or that few people, whatever, the people that we feel like, even if we won't say it, like they're exceptions. <laughs> they're really bad people. They're people I really don't want to reconcile with. I, 
pretty much am better than those. I'm not better than most, but I'm better than these people. But the truth is, we're not better than anyone. The Bible says that all have fallen short of the glory of God. That there's no one righteous, not one. That includes us. And so whenever we are tempted to compare ourselves to others, we need to remember that that is fake news. Fake news is comparison. And so this is where I want to help us understand what fake news is, different from what they're saying on TV and in the media. Okay? We see this a lot in the media, unfortunately. What sells is controversy. What grabs people's attention, what grabs people's eyeballs, that's what news cares about, by the way. News cares about selling ads so they can make money. Sorry to burst your bubble on that one. If you have this altruistic notion that journalists are out to change the world, and I believe that a lot of journalists are, but at the, at the, at the root of it, it's a business, which means you have to get eyeballs, which means you have to make money, which means you have to produce content that's going to attract people's eyes. And, and sadly, we love controversy. And a lot of what passes as news is merely people who are self-righteous on the left or on the left and on the right. It's, it's, I'm not trying to argue that one is better than the other. To do that would be betraying what I'm talking about. On the left side, they feel self-righteous, and they say, how could they believe and say those things on the right? And so you get someone who represents that case. And then on the right side, they, they believe that those on the left are wrong and how could you believe the things that they believe in and they're self-righteous in what they believe in and then they just throw hand grenades at each other it's not a dialogue they're not trying to understand they're just trying to say to to basically throw daggers at each other in the wittiest and sharpest ways they can and that's news and the fake news is not the lies that they tell although that is also fake news the fake news is and inability, the fake news is their self-righteousness. The fact that, that we would actually believe that that's news is just listening to and being consumed and consuming self-righteousness. And then we wonder why we spew it back. We wonder why in our conversations throughout the week that subtly we can be doing the same thing. Slander. It, let me put it this way. And I think I've seen this in myself, which is why it's convicting. Have you ever critiqued anyone with no intent to make them better? Have you ever given out a critique and it had no intention to actually help that person? That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about using words and, and using, and I want to focus on one of these sins, corrupting talk from uh, Ephesians. If we go back to our passage in Ephesians. Corrupting talk. He says, let no corrupting talk, verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion. Corrupting has the idea of rottenness. The, the word it means literally like rotting fish. Like, have you ever heard talk being described as acidic? Right? It just, it, it corrodes and it corrupts. And that, that's the idea of what he's getting across. A lot of what we see in our media, and unfortunately, I think in our world, is a lot of corrupting talk right now in this 
in this season of life? What would it look like if all of our words were said with the intent of building up? I think I would, I would not say some things that I've said, number one. I think sometimes I critique and I have no intent if I think about it, right? If I think about it, I had no intent to actually bless someone. I had no intent to actually see someone built up and lifted up. Now, it doesn't mean we can't critique. It doesn't mean we can't call wrong wrong. It just means... Have we paused to ask ourselves what our intent is? Have we paused to consider, is this the best way to say it so that they would actually hear it and might be moved to listen to to the critique? Or do we just kind of sit in our little silo and just kind of toss the grenade and feel good about ourselves? This morning, I, I want you to consider if you've been believing in fake news. Have you found yourself traveling in either direction? The, either believing that self-indulgence is the key to happiness, or believing that self-righteousness is the key to happiness. I, I want us to ask God to to give us the grace to be honest with ourselves. Give us the grace to, 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 to stop lying to ourselves, to stop patting ourselves on the back, to stop thinking, oh, we're just good, just as we are, and to actually bring before God the truth and say, Lord, I'm struggling. Lord, I've got bitterness in my heart. Lord, I can't kick this addiction. Lord, help me. This is who I am. And, and the beauty is that there is good news, that, that God has said, he, he doesn't, Jesus said he came for those who are sick, not for those who are well. And, and the, the reality is that the more that we think we're well, the less that we make ourselves available to Christ's healing. It's when we can recognize by God's grace that that we are sick, that we do need help, that that puts us in the position to receive God's healing where where Christ can come and speak truth to those lies that we're believing. And so that's what I want to get at now is looking at what does it mean after we've put down the the fake news, but it can't stop there. Like Christianity is not just about stopping things. There's always this paradigm of stop, then do. Put down, then put on. And that's the language that we get in this passage. This put down the old manner of life, but put on the new life that we have in Christ. There's something, there's a positive aspect to following Jesus. It's built into the idea of following Jesus. You're going somewhere. You're going somewhere good. You're going somewhere healthy. We're going somewhere that will be life to us. And so that's what I want to emphasize is that there is life in Christ. It's not just a whole bunch of rules to stop doing what you know you should stop doing, but Christ has life in in us in the truth. And that's where I want to go now. Let me read verses uh, 20 through 21. 
But this is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. There was a uh, Japanese soldier uh, named Hiru Anoda, and he fought in, in World War II. He's a really super dedicated soldier. He was so dedicated that he fought World War II for 30 years, from 1944 until 1974. The only problem was that World War II ended in 1945. It was an interesting case where he was holed up with him and a few other soldiers kind of in the mountains, and he didn't quite get the news that the war had ended. So he continued to fight. He continued to carry out guerrilla activities with him and his soldiers for some 29 years after the war ended. Now, people tried to get in contact with him. People tried to drop leaflets where he was. I mean, he was having shootouts with the police. He did not believe that the war had ended. And it took his former commander, who was retired by then, like selling stuff in some shop in Japan, he flew to where he was and officially gave him the orders You can put down your arm, soldier. The war's over. He finally believed, but it took him a while. My point here is that there are lies we can believe that completely change our life. Or to put it another way, there are truths that if we knew, if we heard, and if we believed, would completely change our lives. All he had to do was believe that the war was over and and all of his hunkering down, all of his fears, all of his his fighting could have ended because the reality was he didn't need to do all that. And I think some of us live lives, we we live our lives as, as if Jesus has not really won the war on the cross. That and that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, look, all this stuff, old stuff, right? Old way of life, you're darkened in your understanding you're alienated but then he says in verse 20 but but that's not the way you learned jesus like if you've heard of him and he knows they have he's he's speaking hypothetically rhetorically you have heard of him therefore why are you tempted to live in this way there's there's good news there's a new life that you can live right now because of what Jesus did on the Christ. That is the news that, that Paul wants us to hear. Paul writes that the truth for us is found in Jesus. Verse Twenty-one. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. The truth is not just head knowledge. It's not just history lessons that you memorize to, to pass an exam. The truth uh, is in Jesus and therefore the, the truth is personal. The truth is personal. Truth 
uh, is something we hear. Truth is something we learn. But then because truth is personal, truth is someone who we can meet. And and that's the beauty of, of what we get in truth is when we see believe the good news, we mean believe a person, Jesus. He's the embodiment of truth. He's a person that we actually get to talk to, to meet, to converse with, to dine with, to eat with. He's our truth. And that changes the game when we understand that truth is actually a person. How many of you have have learned a fact in life that's changed your life? Maybe. How How many of you have met a person that's changed your life? A few more people. Some facts are really important, but I think when we look at our lives, we recognize that the, the richness comes not from just idle facts, but from the people that we engage with. The, 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 the most formative times in our life have, have come when we've met people that have said something or have done something that have impacted us in a very tangible way they've demonstrated something for us how exactly does the truth of jesus begin to transform us i'm going to continue reading in verse 22 through 24 to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to, oh, sorry, I'm... Uh, yeah, that's what I want to read. Okay, sorry. Verse 22. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness... In receiving Jesus, we're called to put off the old self and to put down the fake news. And, and as Paul writes, to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. And it's interesting, what he's saying is that transformation to the other side of, of the old self, to put on the new self, and in the middle of that is this renewal of our minds. And so transformation doesn't happen without our minds being first renewed. Paul says something similar in Romans 12. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Real transformation in our lives comes by, by thinking differently. It's, it's about those beliefs that, that underlie these dangerous directions that we head in when we believe fake news what is the truth truth is in jesus how what does it mean to have our minds renewed by jesus that's really what the question comes down to what does it mean to have our minds renewed by meeting jesus well it has to do it's not so much a description of who Jesus is. It's not like when we think of the people have really changed their life, it was not their description that changed you, right? It wasn't the fact that the person you knew was six foot tall and had dark hair 
and, uh, I don't know, played a certain sport or whatever the case might be. It's, it's not the description merely that was impactful. It's, it's something that they said or something that they did. And so the question that we need to ask ourselves is what did Jesus say and what did Jesus do? And, and then let that be the thing that begins to renew our minds and therefore brings transformation to our lives. And so I want to cover two things. Jesus did and said many things, but I just want to cover two that are brought up in this passage. Let me read, uh, starting in verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The first thing, the thing that Jesus says, he says, I forgive you. Jesus says, I forgive you. One of the most beautiful things that anyone has ever said to me in my life is the words, I forgive you. I remember uh, early on in my dating relationship with Stephanie, um, things were going really well. And it was just, I think, just after uh, Valentine's Day. And I knew that I had to share something with her uh, from my past. And she was not going to like it. And I knew it was going to be hard for her. And I also knew that since it was still early in the relationship, this could be one of those deal breakers, you know. This could be one of those things that is so weighty that it it really disrupts things and maybe even ends it depending on how she takes it. And so I debated whether or not I should even tell her that, but I I felt from the Lord that I needed to share this with her. And so I said, hey, we need to talk. And we went somewhere, some restaurant. Oh, PCC, that's where we went. Romantic, you know. (laughs) It was close to her house, or where she lived. And, and I told her uh, what I intended to tell her. And sure enough, uh, she was heartbroken. Uh, she cried. I offered to walk her home. She said no. And, and as these things work out, like the next day, I'm headed off to California uh, for a one-week trip to visit my brother and nieces. Um, I remember thinking... I don't want to go on this trip right now. But I go, and I'm, so I'm sitting there trying to be present in the moment with my brother uh, and, and my nieces, uh, not knowing when I come back if I'm going to have a girlfriend or not. It was, it was, and it was, it was weighing on me. I remember praying and feeling God giving me peace uh, when I prayed to him that, that things would be okay, whatever happens. And... I fly back and set up a time to meet with Stephanie. And the first words that she said were, Caleb, I forgive you. And those words were so sweet to me to hear say that. I felt good because I knew God had me. I knew God had forgiven me, first off. I didn't need to have her forgiveness. 
But to hear her express it was yet another testimony of what God can do to bring about forgiveness in the hearts of people. That through her, I saw God's love spoken to me through those very simple words, I forgive you. This is the beauty of the gospel. This is the, this is the good news of the truth of what God can do when you meet Jesus. That Jesus brings about forgiveness in very real ways and that I can experience the love of God through his people to give me forgiveness that I don't deserve. I don't deserve forgiveness. But he says because he loved us, Christ forgave us. And he gave himself up for us. So he just doesn't say, I forgive you, but he demonstrates with laying down his life for us, a sacrifice, a fragrant offering to God that, that he, he lays down his life for our sake, that we can, and he didn't deserve it either. He didn't deserve to be killed on the cross, but he laid down his life for us. That's the, the tangible demonstration. The truth transforms because the truth is a person, Jesus, who himself acts on our behalf. This is a truth unlike any other truth that we know of in the world. This truth is active and loving, and he's personal, and he pursues, and he pursues, pursues relentlessly. And so I want to encourage us this morning as we think about picking up the good news, it means going to Jesus. It means seeing Jesus for who he really is, that no matter where we're at in our lives, no matter what we're struggling with, even if we've been struggling this morning with being critical, even if we've been struggling this morning with, with desires that are unhealthy, that, that Jesus meets us where we're at. And if you would believe in what he did to lay down his life for us, he says to you this morning, I forgive you. He says, Ross, I forgive you. He says, Matt, I forgive you. He says, Micah, I forgive you. Jesus says to each one of us, I forgive you. Not on, on the basis, it's grace, which means it's a gift which means we don't earn it. If it was something we earned, then salvation would be wages. It'd be like, give me my paycheck, because I earned it. Right? We don't... We get our paycheck because we work for it. Gifts are something we don't work for. And God's salvation is a gift to us, which means it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you will do. God's gift covers all of it. I want to see us as a church that embraces this truth, that it's okay to be who you are wherever you are. Otherwise, the gospel, otherwise we diminish the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, past, present, and future. It doesn't matter what the sins were. It could be anything. Think of the worst person in the world in your mind, Jesus died for that person. If we can be honest and we recognize if Jesus died for everyone, Jesus died for me, Jesus died for me in all my crud, in all my sin, in all my hypocrisy, Jesus died for that. I can be honest with who I am in the midst of his community 
and experience God's grace in God's life through his people who all together recognize that we all need him. We all desperately need his grace and that God has promised to give us himself because he's done it. We don't have to believe the lie that there's something else out there that will satisfy us. God has said, I'm not holding back at all. And you can look at my son, Jesus. I'm not holding back. He's given us himself. Can we be a community that would speak truth to one another? Can we be a community that would tell others that, yeah, you've sinned, I've sinned too. But Jesus is good and he loves you and he loves me. And that together we can seek his grace and we can seek his transformation together. That's what I'm hoping that we see as as part of the vision outcome, one of the vision outcomes of, of what we believe that God has called us to is to be a community where we can be honest with ourselves, we can be honest with each other, that we're not trying to hide who we are, that in fact revealing who, who we are just magnifies God even greater because God loves us in spite of who we are. And that with that love, we will see, we will see God transform us as we embrace his truth, as we embrace the person of Jesus. And that's what I hope to see as, as us being an authentic community. Let me pray for us. Father, I, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. I thank you that you are truth. You are the way. You are the life. Lord, uh, I ask that you would bring healing to, to those who are, who are struggling right now. In whatever way they're struggling, if it's with a self-righteous spirit, if it's with unhealthy desires, I pray, first and foremost, that we would know your love for us. That we would understand that your death on the cross was for us. Not just for a future version of ourselves, but for the current version. The beta version, the alpha version, the the version that uh, is still messy and still broken, and still hurts, and still suffers. Lord, you died for us in this state. I pray that you would help us to know that, and that we would find comfort and joy in your love for us, and your grace for us, that we would cling to your truth, Lord, that whenever we're tempted to believe lies, we will remember the truth of that you forgive us, that you've died for us, And that doesn't change based on what we do. Help us to believe. Help us to speak this to each other. To not be afraid of what other people would think. But to be honest with one another. And to boldly proclaim your truth in love. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, we also uh, celebrate communion. Uh, which is a physical reminder of the work that Jesus did for our sins. Uh, We remember his um, body represented by the bread and his blood represented by the juice or wine. So if you believe in what Jesus has done for you, I encourage you 
uh, when you're ready to come up and, and partake of communion. Uh, we proclaim it in remembrance of him uh, until he comes again.